family, we were going to uh, Disney World. We'd saved for a gazillion years for this thing and had cut some deals, and we were, we were looking forward to it. I can, I can share this story. I couldn't share it first hour because Andrew was here, but he's not here this hour. So that's fine. We were, so we're driving down, and we're, we're, Andrew comes up with this great idea, and we've got it all mapped out, what we're going to do. He says, what, what's going to happen if somebody gets sick? We started thinking, oh, I don't know what's going to happen. Andrew says, this is what's going to happen. They're going to stay in the room. The rest of us are going to the park. That's just the way it is. Well, on the way down, Andrew starts having a stomach thing, right? That night, Teresa and I rush him to the hospital. Appendicitis, he's in the hospital for three days. Messes up our Orlando thing. But one of the things we did... As we went to Campus Crusades headquarters is in Orlando, and if you're familiar with this, we, so we went through a crew, they call themselves now, we went through their headquarters, they got a little museum, they're fascinating. One of their, their projects is the Jesus film, I don't know if you're familiar with this, it debuted in 79, it's really just the story of Jesus, it's not hyper gore like the passion, uh, but it, it's just the story of Jesus, Gospels in Living Color. Since this thing came out in 79, it's been shown in 200 different countries, translated into over 1,100 different languages. Since it came out in 79, it said that every eight seconds, a individual comes to know Christ based on having watched this movie. That's 10,800 a day. That's 324,000 people a month. That's 3.8 million people a year. That's like the population of Pittsburgh coming to know Christ every 28 and a quarter days since this movie was released. Since 1979, there are 210 million people, not who've watched this, who have indicated decisions to follow Christ because of this. This is is by far the greatest evangelistic tool that's come up, at least in our our generations, our our world. well, one of the parts of the museum you go through is all depicted, it's all set up for the Jesus film. They show uh, raw footage of when they came into a village to show them the, vil- the Jesus film. So they're hauling their generators in, and the tribal people are kind of looking at what's going on. They set up, and then 200 tribal folk come out to watch the Jesus movie in their language. And, and as this video is going, it's interesting to watch the faces of the people who are watching the Jesus movie. Now, these guys have been living in fear for generations and generations. They have no, no, no hope but to try to appease the gods. And so they're watching this Jesus movie, and you can see these, the kids and the mom. There, there's hope and there's encouragement. They're, they're getting excited as the movie goes on. And, and then you know the story of Jesus, right? And you've got the betrayal and they've got the trials. And suddenly, these people who are watching it, there's horror comes across their face. They're like, whoa, whoa, hang on, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then when he starts getting flogged, the people, they just start bawling. And when they start to crucify him, the people are screaming out. They're, the whole tribe is coming unglued. It's very moving to watch this. And you want to step in and say, whoa, whoa, hang on, people, it's not that bad. But I remember when I was there, I thought, no, I guess it is that bad. And these people get it. And by the time Jesus is in the tomb, the, 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 the whole tribe is, is beside themselves. And I'm thinking, these guys really feel the despair of those first century disciples. 
They, they, their hearts were with the women when the women were going to the tomb that Sunday morning to say goodbye for the last time and to anoint his body. There, there was such heavy dread on the whole tribe. But you know the story. And the earthquake. And suddenly, the people are, Whoa, what, what was that? What's, what's going on? And when they realized that Jesus was rising from the dead, I mean, it just all broke loose in this tribe. It was everywhere. I didn't know if there were more tears happening for the crucifixion or now, the resurrection. But there they were joyful. And the people were cheering. And they were, it was, it, you're entering into this thing, very emotional. But I thought, how many times have I heard the message of the cross? And it's never had that impact on me. Familiarity brings apathy. I'm not feeling guilty because I've heard the message of the cross. I don't want to do that. I'm not sad. I'm very grateful. It's a gift from God. But still, familiarity can bring apathy. And so, this morning, beginning of a new season, new was in the air. Here's the question. When I was in college, I had a little poster in my, on my wall. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, right? No matter what else is going on at school, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. In your life, is the main thing the main thing. Maybe it was at one point. Maybe cross was center in your heart at one point, but it's kind of slid off. Now, we know that it's, it's, it's not, is the cross center around my neck? Is it center on my ears? Is it center on my T-shirt? Is it center on my bumper? Even is it center on the platform? If that's all it took, that would be easy. But is it center in your heart? Is it center in your heart, Harris? That is the first question. Now let me back up for just a second. Our understanding, let me just, a little history. The, until 390 A.D., Constantine, the church never, to our knowledge, used the cross as a symbol representing the church, representing it, 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 just, it just never happened. It didn't happen until three. So we have a cross. We don't believe in icons. We don't believe there's anything specially mystical, uh, superstitious about it. We don't believe that. For us, it does symbolize the greatest message ever told. But there's nothing magic about it. So let's not about arranging furniture out here. Let's start here. Is the cross center in your heart? We want to look at, at a, a passage this morning where the Apostle Paul was talking to a, a, a town that's real similar to, to here. And he was talking to Christians who were in danger of allowing the main thing to slide off center. So if you turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And the question you want to ask yourself all this, the next few minutes is, in my heart, is the cross center? Or is it kind of off to the side or maybe not in there at all? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to dig right in, uh, beginning in verse 17. Paul, of course, is talking. He, he wrote this. And he said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It's the power of God. 
there's a lot of stuff that will separate us, right? Football season's going on. Uh, of course, I have this feeling that not everybody's a Packers fan, but we can, we can, we can be, uh, football teams can separate us, uh, traditions can separate us, theological secondary nuances can separate us, my bloodline can separate us, educations can separate us, uh, socioeconomics where I grew up, I, we, a gazillion things. Uh, you know, are you a Mac, are you an Apple person, are you a Democrat, but we can just go on and on. a gazillion things can separate us. But when God looks at us, he sees two groups of people, only two. He sees those who are perishing and those who are being saved. The cross is the divider of humanity. That's, that's the way God, God, God sees it. And you need to know the only thing that separates these two groups is the message of the cross. Not goodness. Maybe you're like me. You've seen some people over here in this group who act a whole lot better than some of the people who claim to be in this group. Or maybe there's some folk over here who are more consistent with their church attendance than people over here. The only thing that separates is, is the cross of Christ. And Paul says those who are perishing look at the cross and they see it as foolishness. Now, the word is moros. It's where we get the word moron. Morons. A bunch of morons. It's, you get, get the word moron from it. Um, it doesn't talk about being intellectually deficient. It doesn't talk about being stupid. The word really is a, almost like a possessed kind of word. It's, it's a word of um, uh, desire, discipline, to choose that which is uh, uh, unbelievable, that which is bad, insane is a good word. And perhaps you've got family members, and you would say, yeah, this is true, who when you came to know Christ, they said, person's off their rocker, they're crazy, they freaked out, they're nuts. Because they don't understand. Because the cross of Christ to those who are perishing is foolishness. It's just foolish. He goes on in verse 20, 19, excuse me, he says, For, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. He's quoting, I think, Isaiah 29. And then he asks three very important questions. He says, where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? These are, these are the intelligentsia, the, the scholar. It probably would have been the, the Jewish scribe who would have been the most educated person. These are your Harvard PhDs. Paul saying, where are these guys at? Where, where, where are the philosophers who, not, who are not entangled with myth? They're discerning. They understand, you know, where we came from and why we're here and where we're going. They got the whole picture lined out. They know where are these guys at. When I went through my medical journey several years ago, I was radically amazed at the sophistication and the intricacy and the complexity of the medical procedures. You, you know, bend down this. You know, it's amazing. What they can do. I mean, if you really, it's amazing what they can see and find out. It's just incredible. I had a, a buddy who was in the military, a secret branch deal, and he shared stuff with me, probably shouldn't have at one point. But as I listened to their, the weaponry that has been in, invented, that's been designed, that's put out, some of the military technology, you just sit back and you go, I can't believe that. It's amazing. When you think of our communications technology in the digital age, you sit back and go, this is, who would have thought the whole world can shrink the size it is with the Internet? It's just, it's just amazing. 
We can put a guy on the moon, and we can put a rover on Mars, and we can put a probe on, on Titan, which is one of Saturn's moons. We can throw a, my, a, a telescope to the far end of the galaxy. I mean, we, when our brains get together, our smart guys get together, they can do just about anything. Just about is the word there, though, because they can't deal with the most important thing, the human heart. There are this, this 300,000, excuse me, we are institutionalizing more children today than ever in the history of the world. Our teenagers, suicide is up 300% in the last 30 years. According to the New York Times, between 1999 and 2010, that age span 35 to 64, they, they have found a 30% increase in suicide. Now, it's, the interesting thing there is that for the longest time, suicide has been epidemic in the teenagers. Everyone, and if it had been a regular disease, this would be like worse than the Ebola thing. This would just be... Everybody would be all over this. Suicide is huge within the the 80-plus group, seniors. But that 35 to 65 group, they've kind of like been untouched. It's almost almost immune. But now, I mean, this is just recent. They, too, have come up to it. So it doesn't matter what age you are. There is a despairing of life. According to the Center for Disease Control, suicide takes more lives, it doesn't matter which age span, than auto accidents. And again, you ask yourself, why don't we get our PhDs together and stick them in a room and let's get the brainiacs together and say, fix this. Can they fix this? They can't fix this. They can do everything else and we can't deal with that one. What about the fact that we've got 500,000, if this is a normal day, 500,000 kids will go to sleep, not just hungry, but malnourished, which means their body is not getting what it needs to grow. So what future do they have? Let's get the brainiacs together. Fix that, guys. How, how about the, the, the ISIS folk and these Islamic freedom fighters who are murdering uh, innocent men and women and children? How about 21st century American Atlanta suburbanite parents who are plotting how to kill their children? I mean, it's, it's a heart issue, and it's worldwide. Let's, where are the, where's the wise man? Fix this! No, we, we, we can't. We can't. They can't deal with the most significant thing. It's uh, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, and he had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men, the king's technology, the king's greatest minds, the king's sharpest, the king's best, couldn't do anything about it. Couldn't put Humpty together. That's a fairy tale of despair. It lets us know that the best the world has to offer. Can't do anything about it. And if you suggest that the solution is a Jewish man who hung on a cross 2,000 years ago, you know where that's going, right? I mean, you're either going to get laughs or yawns or or rage, but they're going to get their voices together and scream, foolishness! Uh, Richard Dawkins, atheist, author of The God Delusion. Dawkins was a professor of uh, public understanding of science at Oxford. And a while back, he debated John Lennox, who, was a professor of, who is a professor of mathematics at Oxford, on the existence of God. And Dawkins, this is what he has to say about not just Lennox, specifically Lennox here, but about anybody who believes that the cross is a valid message. He says, he, that's 
Dawkins is referring to Lennox. He believes that the creator of the universe, the God who devised the laws of physics, the laws of mathematics, the physical constants, who devised the parsecs of space, billions of light years of space, billions of years of time, that this genius of mathematics and physical science could not think of a better way to rid the world of sin than to come to this little speck of cosmic dust and have himself tortured and executed so he could forgive. That's the understanding of the cross. Those who are perishing. Foolishness, is that the best you've got? Is that the best you can, can give us? goes on. It says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and foolishness to Gentiles. Now, it was obviously a stumbling block to the Jews. Deuteronomy 21 says, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. So you mean the solution is our Messiah being crucified? Is that the solution? That's, I couldn't, that wasn't going to work. Jews want signs, right? Think of their heritage. They want to see the Red Sea open. And they want manna coming down from heaven. They want plagues falling on all their enemies. They like omniscience and omnipotence. And they, they, they like power. They need signs. And then they ask Jesus, what sign do you give us to show that you've got this authority? They want to see signs. And you know what? This is one of the great idolatries that you and I have in our heart. If you, and we don't, I'm not asking for a show of hands, but have you ever prayed, God, will you just give me a sign? We just, we just do this one thing. I just need to see. I just need, we're like Thomas. Until I see, until I touch, I'm not going to believe. This is not just Jews. This is us. So yeah, they, this was this cross thing. Is that the best you got? Are you serious? Greeks, look for wisdom. And think about where, where Paul's addressing this letter. Corinth, a city in Greece who just a few centuries before this came up with Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. They weren't interested in all the signs and the hocus pocus. They were interested in intelligent argumentation, sophistication. They needed to be able to think it through, man. Unless the picture, they could arrange all the pieces and see the picture. It was useless. It was foolishness. If we're talking to scientists in the back room, unless I can see and touch, then forget it. It's not going to work. The Greeks were seeking wisdom. But Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Verse 24, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God. And the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's, think, man's, man's strength. Think about the cross for a moment. Think about that as the power of God. What, did it, what, what, was it, what kind of power was demonstrated at the cross? Well, we were, we were enemies. And through the cross, only through the cross, we were made friends. We were prisoners. With no hope, one-way street, we, we had one-way ticket, we, we, were, we, were, we were stuck, and yet through the cross, Jesus kind of storms the gates of hell, busts down the door of death, and unleashes us. 
Through, through, through the cross, we were dead. Scripture says dead. It's not sick. And dead is not like a metaphor for not feeling well. Dead is dead. You're not spiritually dead. But yet through the cross, we were made alive. Immortal. I mean, there's a new race of people through the cross. Talk about power. That's some kind of power. Before, we were homeless, orphans, like sheep without a shepherd in this world. And through the cross, Jesus introduces us to his heavenly Father who adopts us. Before the cross, we are nobodies. I mean, we were nobodies, but through the cross, we become, you become a royal priesthood. I mean, that's, that's a position of significance. Royal priesthood. That's power. Think of the wisdom of the cross for a minute. Again, we don't think about this. God just saved us. Well, it's what he's got to do. He's God. But the insurmountable stuff he had to come over in order to get us saved, this was no easy task. And we were born in sin. This is interesting. I think Satan was counting on on this one. That God, see, is a God of justice. And therefore, he's got to judge sin. You can't just... if, If you went to court as a member of a family where somebody in your family had been really hurt bad by this mean man. And the mean man, and the judge looks at him and says, you know what, nobody's perfect, don't worry about it, just, just don't do it again. What would you do? You would freak. Now, you're not perfect, right? No, you, you have limitations, but you understand this much that that is not justice. Justice demands that that, that they do something about this. And Satan knows justice demands God's just. He has got to judge these guys. I've won. Now, Satan forgot that God is also, though, merciful. Which means he has to forgive. And yet he has to give us what we deserve and, and not give us what we deserve at the same time. How in the world do you figure this out? Well, there's the cross. This was God's wisdom where he, he could satisfy his justice complete in the person of Christ dying in your stead, in my stead. The, the wisdom God had to go through when he took uh, people who were far off and made them near, when he took people who were blind and opened their eyes, when he, when he made the uh, uh, lame heart leap. It's the wisdom of God. And, and you see what it says here, too, how we ended up here. But to those whom God called, if you are in Christ, we've got to understand the, the meat of this passage. It's not because you figured it out. You didn't just kind of put it all together. Ah, oh, got it. No, you, you didn't figure anything out. Somewhere along your path, you had to come across the message of the cross. You, you had to, whether it was at your mom's knee or in church, or Sunday school teacher had the flannel graph thing going on, or you're in the car, you're listening to the radio, or at one point you just pick up the Bible, and maybe you've read it multiple, and you didn't, it didn't make any sense, but you're trying again, and all of a sudden, though, this time, it's like, oh, it's like someone turned the light switch on. You were called. Yeah, I get it now. I am not about to try to explain it. I don't know. I don't understand the the calling, how the whole calling thing works. And some called and some not called. But I do know this. I was not called because I'm smarter. I was not called because I'm more intelligent. I was not called because God needed me on the team. You know, Dave Busby, best youth speaker I'd ever heard. He's, He's gone home to be with the Lord at this point. But many years ago, uh, Dave Busby uh, had cystic fibrosis, had polio as a kid, and he loved to tell this story. He said when he was in junior high, he would go out on Saturday morning, 
And he'd pull up a chair and he'd sit down. And his, his brother, senior in high school, and some of his other buddies who were on the basketball team would play basketball all, all morning, Saturday morning at the house, you know, basketball thing in the garage. And he would watch them. He says, these guys were so good. These guys were on the basketball team. They were just so good. And one morning, he's sitting out there watching these guys play. And, and the, one, of the, one of the people didn't show. And so they say, hey, Dave, we're one person down. You've got to play today. He's like, oh, man, I've got to play today. My cystic fibrosis polio, junior high day with all these seniors, basketball players. So they all line up. They're going to pick teams. And his brother and the next best guy go up to pick. And he's trying to look tall next to all these senior high guys. <laughs> And trying to be something. And his brother won the, the coin flip and had to pick first. And his brother kind of looked over all the players. And then when he saw his brother Dave, he just kind of stopped, smiled and said, I pick Dave. Dave, I pick you. He wasn't supposed to pick me. He's supposed to pick Roger. See, Roger's the best guy out. If you get Roger, game's over. It's already done. He picked me? So he realized what happened. He started to walk limp basically towards his brother and then he just broke down ran in sobs and tears dove into his brother's arms because he realized his brother didn't choose him because he was valuable because he could help the team his brother chose him because he loved him that was it that was it that's what Paul's saying here look what he says verse 26 he says brothers think of what you were when you were called not many of you were wise by human standards. It's kind of a slap in the face. But not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. I didn't choose you because you were so special. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Check out this verse. It is because of your great wisdom that you're in Christ. No, I didn't say that. It is because of luck. You just happened to be in the right place and you heard the message and wow, and other people might not, but you were lucky. It's because of luck that you're there. Is that how this thing works? Luck? This is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you know Christ, the only reason is not because you're pretty good. You figured it out. You're lucky. It's because of his grace and because of his forgiveness. Not 97% you needed to do a little. 100%. And I wish I could explain it all. But part of the mystery amazes me. God, why would you choose me? I know me better than these. Why would you choose? And you know me better than that. Why me? Listen, maybe as we start this year, you're student, junior high, high school, college, and you're going back into the school system. Maybe you're going to the secular school system. Maybe... Uh, the classes you got, the profs you have. Maybe some of the, it's kind of like a Sodom, Gomorrah, you kind of thing going on. If anyone needs the cross center in their heart, it's you. Is it there right now? Is it there? You're not going to make it without it. Maybe you're in the workforce and you go to a place every day. You want to be considered intelligent and, and, and sophisticated. But reality is, if people know you hold to the, the cross of Christ as the hope of the world, foolishness. 
If anyone needs the cross of Christ center in your heart, you need it. Maybe retired person. Maybe retirement's new for you. It's just a new journey, a new season of life. Man, I'm just reading through Second Chronicles right now. And it amazes me how many folks start off right. They start off well. They're, they're vehement for the Lord. They're accomplishing great stuff. But at the end, the cross is no longer center. They have fallen off the wagon spiritually. Finish well. And this, I pray that I will finish well. And I know the only way I can do it is if the cross is center in my heart. Is it center there. Let me speak one more group of people, because maybe you're here and you come to church, maybe it's your first week, maybe a million years, but if you're a student or maybe you're an adult, but you know you are riding on the coattails still of your parents' faith. They started this whole church thing going for you, blah, 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 blah. But there's not a real reality. You have never heard God call you. You have never answered that call, and it's just a tradition thing. And why this is so important is we're going to do communion in a moment which reflects the message of the cross. Two elements. The bread which reflects Jesus' body that was broken for you. The, 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 the cup reflects his, his blood which is spilled out for you. And maybe you've digested this a gazillion times. But it doesn't do anything for you if the reality's not, not there. Maybe this morning you can tie reality with tradition and in just a moment, you can come to the foot of the cross. You can say, you know what, I, I just need to respond. Maybe he's calling me, and I, I, I need to answer him. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm not sure of all what this means, but I know you died in my stead, and I've been fighting it or whatever else. I just want to give you my life. I want to follow.